Hey guys, it's the Mighty Coleslaw here, bringing you another installment of the Mighty Coleslaw podcast. I'm joined here with my ever faithful co-host Andrew. How's everybody doing today? And we're joined here with a very special guest. I've been super excited to have him on the show. He's one of my personal heroes, and he is Bart Vale. So nice to have you on the show, Bart. I've been super excited. Like you, you know, this is just like a dream come true that I get to talk to you. My brother had uh, a tape of like uh, the old shoot fighting uh, old VHS tape that we got from like a flea market, and on and like I used to watch your fights all the time. Like I saw the Ken Shamrock fight was on there, the Fujiwara fight was on there for the title and on i was just like so like in awe because like you know you're just like a, a big tough guy and like you know in, a, in the martial arts world there's not too many big guys out there that like you know you can look up to and like you know i was always a bigger kid you know i grew up to be six foot four you know <laughs> me being a big guy myself i'm, I'm sorry i'm kind of just geeking out here <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. um you know, I just want to get started with uh, how'd you get into shoot fighting? I know you have a uh, Kempo background, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. And you know, I tell I tell the story periodically to to let people know you just don't know when in life your life's going to change. But I can seriously point out this as something that changed my life, and I almost missed it. And what happened was, I was running martial arts schools. I do Chinese Kempo. And I had, um, I don't know, I had maybe five or six schools open at the time. And the MDA people, the Jerry Lewis Telethon thing, they contacted me about doing, in my school, a kickathon, which was, you know, the kids will run out and, and, and get their parents to donate, you know, a dollar for every kick they do or whatever it was. So we put together this kickathon thing. And we raised over $5,000 through the schools. And I, I gave the, the money to MDA. I was going to run off to the Bahamas with it, but I didn't. <laughs> so, um, they told me that since I, I brought in over $5,000 that they will have me on a 30-second spot on TV on the day they do the telethon. That would be live where they switch to the different channels and see, you know, this person and that person. And I said, that would be great. So I contacted one of my students that was a, a bigger guy so that he can get in a ring with me and spar. I didn't want to bar some little guy and look retarded <laughs> so um he was all excited i mean he just couldn't wait to do it and i had a big four by four truck and i was having a lot of trouble with the wheels falling off and so the day of the telethon i didn't want to drive the truck so i called my student and his mother answered the phone and uh, i said hey listen i can't make it there um Tell him that, you know, hey, we'll, we'll make up another time or whatever. And she just kept going on about he couldn't sleep. This is all he's doing. He's out with his friends. He's telling all his friends to watch TV today to see him. So she talked me into going, and I went. So I get in there, and I, I do my little thing for 30 seconds. And I'm getting out of the ring, and there was a little Japanese guy in the audience watching. Of course, he wasn't very little. Uh, he was bulky but shorter than me, of course. And I get out of the ring, and he goes, oh, you know, I never see big guy 
uh, kick so fast and high like you, you want to compete in Japan. And I went, yeah. <laughs> and so he gives, he gives me he gives me an address the following week in Tampa, Florida, to go try out. So I go there, and it was behind a barn. I'm going, this is not something's wrong here. I, I'm feeling like it's one of those delivering things where I'm out in the woods. I'm the only person there at the time, and I'm going like something. I don't know, but I'm I'm waiting. He comes pulling up with a, another little Japanese guy in the car. We go through the barn at the back of the barn where they had a ring outside in the field under a tree. Hmm. Wow. And he says, he says, okay, uh, uh, we train. You, you introduced me to this guy, and, and okay, uh, that's who I'm going to spar with. So I'm getting my stuff out of the bag. I'm changing everything like that, and I, I put my kicks on, and then I'm getting ready to put my gloves on. And his name was Sornaka. Sammy is what we call him. Sornaka goes, uh, oh, no gloves. No gloves. I says, what do you mean no gloves? If I hit him, it's going to hurt. It's okay. Hit him in the head. It's good. Hit him hard in the head. No problem. <laughs> and I'm looking going like, hey, something's weird about this. I, okay. So I jumped in the ring and, and I threw maybe two or three kicks. And, uh, all of a sudden, he had me down on the ground, and he was throwing me around on the ground like a rag doll. I'm screaming and yelling about how this is not fair. You're not supposed to do this. This is a foul. You're <laughs> yeah. cheating. I even brought up Hiroshima and all that other stuff. I mean, just and he's just Sammy is in the corner there, just laughing. And he goes, "Oh, I forget to tell you, almost like kickboxing." I go, "What?" <laughs> I go kickboxing. No, no, this is wrestling. That we don't do this. No, this different style. And then Sornaka started showing me some of these moves, and with no effort, he was hurting me. And I'm going like, "This is serious. I love this. This is great." Where JoJo in in? Because I was in Tampa, and Miami is where I live, and Tampa is about a four hour drive, which I was okay with that drive. Uh, where where JoJo? He goes uh, Japan. I says, okay, no, but in the United States, we're we're dojo. I want I want to train. No, J- Japan. And I went on about three or four times, going, listen, maybe you don't understand the words that are coming from my mouth. I am trying to get in the United States. I drive, and I'm I'm making it things like driving a car and you know things like that. So because I'm thinking he doesn't understand what I mean about a a dojo here. I know in Japan was the p- main place. But here, anyhow, after 20 minutes of trying to get the message across to him, he said to me, that's the only place right now is Japan. And uh, I said, man, I, I really want to do this, but I can't go. He goes, no problem. I take you. And uh, the next week, I'm over at his house with my passport. I said, let's go. And I went. I said, you know what? I'm just going. And it, this, this was like in 86. And I went over there, I started training, and it was just, you know, a whole different attitude and a whole different way of training. We used to get to a dojo at 7 o'clock in the morning, and from 7 to 2, we did conditioning training. Wow. Uh, running, rope climbing, all this conditioning stuff. No, no, um, no partner. 
At 2 o'clock, we had off. From 2 to 5, you could take a nap, uh, grocery shop, get something to eat. Whatever you wanted to do from 2 to 5 was your time. And then you were back in the dojo from 5 to 9. And from 5 to 9, you would start with a partner. You could do sparring. You can go through techniques. You can work on the movements. And, and we did that every day except for your birthday or the day after a match. Mm-hmm. There was no holidays. I was making up holidays after a while. I, it's Christmas. No. It's New Year's. No. It's St. Valentine's Day. No. I was even making up crap on, you know, today, Emperor's birthday, uh, special vacation. They laugh at me. No. No. <laughs> No holidays at all. Wow. None. And we trained. We trained for real. And um, I was very excited. And then uh, I had my first fight in 88. And then uh, after my my first fight, I remember telling people in the martial arts world about it. Mm. Because at first, I I really didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what direction was heading. But my point being is, if I didn't go to that Jerry Lewis thing at the Aventura Mall on that Saturday morning, I would have never met Sornaka. Mm. And that, me going to Japan and all that, would not have happened. That much, I know for sure. Mm. And it was just weird that he was there. He was there with his wife. They were shopping. She wanted to go to that mall. And, you know, like, and I tell people all the time, I say, you just don't know where you're going to be that's going to make that difference because it it really made a difference for me. Uh, I was already a black belt in Chinese Kempo. I was already kickboxing. I had a real good background. I just wish I had a background in wrestling. Uh, when I was younger, I figured wrestling was for the people who couldn't make the football team because I played football in school and um, I wish I would have did some wrestling because that's where I had I had a lot of trouble on the ground because I wasn't real comfortable being on the ground and um, of course anybody that that's a kickboxer most of them don't want to go to the ground either right right and where a wrestler would a wrestler they don't care a wrestler, I have more people doing wrestling that got involved in the shoot fighting than the other way around. Because a wrestler, they get punched and they get hit and they get elbows and they get knees, not intentionally, but, you know, when they do a shoot or whatever. So for them to get punched or kicked was just normal. But once they got you down on the ground, they controlled you. Yeah. You know, and and they, then they were able to do the submission holes. The only thing that a lot of the wrestlers had was, Again, breaking the habits that you couldn't do, like, you know, laying on your back because that's a pin. And, you know, we can lay on our back to catch our breath and try to figure out a move or get a move. I mean, there's a lot of moves you can do when you're on your back to, to get the guy to submit. And, uh, but in, in my, my career of training people, I found more wrestlers with a wrestling background were able to make the transition a lot easier than kickboxers going the other way around. Hmm. But for me, it was just fascinating to get involved in it. 
Yeah, that that sounds pretty fascinating. It's definitely like an old school mentality of training. Um, one of the questions I had for you was, I, I knew you had the football background, but I was curious, how how did you get from football to martial arts? I, I Well, I did, I did martial arts before um, any other real sports. I, mean, oh, okay. I played sports in the neighborhood and that. I got involved. I started training in the martial arts in 1970. Okay. I was, uh, yeah, I was with one of my buddies. Um, uh, we were, we, we used to go to a college, uh, Miami Dade South campus. And we'd go out there and we'd, we'd kick the soccer ball and we'd go upstairs in the gymnasium and play. And, uh, the guy that ran the, the equipment, Place at the college was my buddy Mike's um, stepbrother, and uh, we go there and say, "Hey, Joe, we want to go up and play on the trampoline upstairs." He goes, "All right, remember, no shoes up there." And uh, he gave Mike the key, and he goes, uh, "Anybody comes with shoes, you just you come down and let me know." So we we go up there, and and then these these. Three guys come in with regular street show, shoes, and they're throwing a basketball in there. And I, I go, "Hey, Mike, look, those guys have shoes on. Let's let's go tell Joe." So we ran down there and told Joe. Joe was a very little guy and everything like that. He came up very, very polite to these people, tell them no shoes. These people didn't want to leave, and they gave him a hard time. And there was a a fight, a natural fist fight, where one of the guys went to swing at him and. And Joe just took these guys out like they were nothing. Wow. And I'm watching over there, sitting on the trampoline, going, what was that? And that was the first time, I think, in my life I saw what karate was. And so I asked Joe about that. And he says, oh, yeah, um, I, I do uh, the martial arts and that, karate or kung fu, whatever it was. I couldn't remember what he said. And I said, man, you gotta you got to teach me that stuff. And Mike goes, yeah, me too. And he said, okay, let's. Let's do it in Mike's garage. And, you know, so, you know, this guy, Joe's training us in the garage. And uh, then one day he comes and he says, oh, I'm gonna, I'm not going to be able to train you guys no more because I'm going to be a uh, soccer coach at some big university or whatever. And I go, no, no, you got to still train us. We'll do it at night. We'll do it later. What? No, I can't. But then he, he told me to go to school. And uh, he said to go, he goes, uh, you need to go Tracy's school. I go, I'm not going to train with some girl. I said, I don't want to train with a girl. He goes, no, it's these brothers. There's, there's like three or four of them that have these schools, and they're they're really good, and that's where you need to go. And he took me a couple of times there. He says, so one of the school that we went to that, because when he was training me, he would go to his schools. He trained in a karate. He did some judo, and he did some kung fu. And he would tra- he would take me along with him to these schools, and I could sit into a class or work out in a class. I was just I was fascinated. I was I even saw uh, Bruce Lee do a demonstration at the Homestead Air Force Base. Wow! Wow! And you know, it, it was funny because I was standing there, and again, I was twelve or thirteen, and I was standing not too far from Bruce Lee as he was talking about, and he, he demonstrated his his punch. And again, I didn't know really what was going on in the martial arts world. I was watching the Blue Angels fly by. But I remember standing near him and going, and I'm 12, I think. 
I'm going, I'm bigger than this guy. <laughs> you know, I'm going, I'm going, this guy can't, this guy can't do anything. And then, boy, I, I tell you, I wasn't too far away from him when he, when he hit that guy, and the guy went up in the air and went across and hit the chair and rolled around the chair and fell over the chair and rolled back more. I'm going like, wow, that was, that was pretty intense. <laughs> I said, that was kind of neat. But yeah, Joe would take me around to all these places, and I mean, realistically, he was one to he was one that got me started. But I was I was I started the martial arts in '70, and again, uh, football. I didn't really get really involved in football until I actually got into high school and I played uh, junior varsity. And of course, uh, in, in junior varsity, I got injured, and. Uh, then the school won't allow me to play varsity because of the insurance policy or whatever. So I really didn't play ball after junior varsity. But what what actually got me onto the USFL was in our group, Larry Zonka, he was a popular football player in the 70s. He played for the Dolphins. He was in charge of the Jacksonville Bulls. So he called up one of the head guys down here that were in the karate world and hey, is is Bart still around and everything like that? And he goes, Yeah, he goes, Tell him to come up to, to Jacksonville this weekend because we're having open tryouts for these for these guys because so we're trying to put these teams together. So I went up there and then I, I did a few things like that and I got picked to come back and I went back, I did that and then uh when they were when they were putting everything together, uh, Larry Zonka and Tom and me, we all went out to dinner, and he kind of talked me out of playing. He said to me, he says, you know, uh, uh, once you get playing uh, football on a regular basis, he says, you know, your karate career is going to be over. I go, what do you mean? He goes, oh, he says, these guys are coming in. These guys are playing semi-pro. They're coming in hard. They're going to try to make a, an impression for the NFL because they they want to get on the NFL, and you know they're going to everybody's going to get hurt. Your knees will be torn up in six months, and and the amount of money and I was I wasn't going to play first string. I was going to be second string, and the money wasn't you know that big of a, a thing to say. Hey, let's take the let's take the chance. And again, you know, I, 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 my desire was in the martial arts. I was just fascinated with the martial arts my whole life. And, you know, here I still am. Yeah. You know, still, still fascinated with it. So I know you have a uh, background with uh, Kempo. Have you ever met the, uh, probably the most prominent finger, figure of uh, American Kempo is Ed Parker. Have you ever had any run-ins with him or... You know, because, you know, you're prominent in the martial arts world. Have you guys ever bumped into each other or you have any experiences with him? All right. Well, let me tell you the story how, how that works. Again, with American Kempo, uh, Mr. Parker, he trained with Mr. Chow and Mr. Chow was doing Chinese Kempo. Mr. Chow was the one that actually started Chinese Kempo, not Kempo, but Chinese Kempo. And what Mr. Chow did was incorporated the Kaijuru Kempo, which was Motosi style, along with the Hungar Kung Fu, which was the style that his father taught. 
he trained Mr. Barker. Now, Mr. Barker originally started training with William Chow's brother. And uh, one day, uh, wow, the, I think Frank, uh, Frank uh, was the one training uh, Mr. Barker. But I, hey, I can't teach you anymore. You need to go to my brother, Willie, and uh, which was William Chow. And William Chow didn't at the time want to train Mr. Parker because, according to William, he wasn't, he was a round guy. He was a foreigner. He didn't want to train him. But however he did, uh, whatever they did, whatever, there's no doubt Mr. Chow trained Mr. Parker in Chinese Kempo. Mr. Parker was the one that trained Al Tracy and the Tracy brothers in Chinese Kempo. So the original thing was Chinese Kempo back in the 50s and 60s. And then later on, Mr. Parker started incorporating a different path, and that's when it got named American Kempo. And according to Mr. Parker, Mr. Parker didn't call it American Kempo. One of his students did, and Mr. Parker never corrected him. And I said the same story to somebody else the other day because somebody contacted me and said, oh, you know, we, we want to induct you in the Hall of Fame for American shoot fighting. And I said, excuse me. I said, there's no such thing as American shoot fighting. It's shoot fighting, just plain and simple, no American, no Japanese, no nothing before or after shoot fighting. But Mr. Parker never corrected him, and they started to incorporate American Kempo. And, yeah, I trained with Mr. Parker from 1980. And, in fact, Mr. Parker died 1990, the end of uh, December. In fact, Mr. Parker was at my school November of the, the year he passed away. And, actually, Mr. Parker was the one that promoted me to fourth degree black belt in what I thought was Chinese Kempo. And then again, I had the, I had the fortunate to train with William Chow from 82. And William Chow promoted me to first black. But I trained with William Chow from 82. And again, 85 to 86. Because you got to remember, in 86, is I know in 86 is when I started to do the shoot fighting. And from 86 on... You know, the tempo took a back seat. You know, yeah. I used to go out to train with Mr. Parker to California. I would go from Florida to California every month to train with Mr. Parker from 1980 is when I started. But about 86 to 90, you know, I might have saw Mr. Parker six times mm. in that whole period because at that point, my life was, I mean, I was good in Kempo, and as far as I was concerned. I had no clue about the shoot fighting, so I had to focus everything I could possibly do to get good at shoot fighting. And so 86 to 90 or whatever it was, even up to 95, I was, I was focusing on just the shoot fighting. And to me, Kempo kind of took a back seat. I didn't, you know, because I used to train doing the Kempo. I, I, I closed my school at midnight, and I'd go to Miami-Dade South Campus out in the field from midnight to about 4 o'clock in the morning 
just going through my forms and katas and techniques out in the field there where nobody could bother me. And I, I was just persistent on doing that on a regular basis. And, of course, when I got involved in the shoot fighting, living over in Japan and being in Japan, everything was being focused on the shoot fighting. I didn't have time to, to, to focus on the Kepler as much as I was. But, you know, I still do it. I still go through Tiger and Crane and Mass Attack on a regular basis. I still find time to do them, you know, six, seven times a week or whatever it is. So when you were uh, prepping for your first fight, were you did you have any, like, nerves about it? Were you, like, do you think your training was, like, made you ready enough for your first uh, shoot fight? Or did you have, like, any pre-nerves to the, the fight itself? Or Well, to tell you the honest truth, uh, <clears throat> I didn't want to fight. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want to fight. I wanted to. Uh, I just wanted to learn the style. Mm. But because the Japanese sponsored me, I felt it was my obligation to do it. I mean, I there there was no doubt to me. But I remember being over there and Sornaka, and I was just I was just having such a good time learning it. I would. I would learn this stuff, and, and uh, I would, you know, write these notes down and make sure I had all these things. I, You know, and, and that's one thing that Kempo taught us, is that every time we learned a movement in Kempo, our instructor made us write it down because it kind of burned it in your brain so you would understand it. So, you know, you would learn it. I would write it down. I'd go back and do it again to make sure I write it, and then I would do that, and then at night, I'd go through my notes and try to figure it out. And I was just, I just wanted to learn it. And Sornako was, oh, you know, maybe soon you have a fight. I said, well, you know, don't worry about it. If you can't find a fight for me, don't worry about it. I said, I'm okay just training. Don't don't worry about it. And I, I know I said something like three or four times. And he, he looked at me like I was an idiot when I said, if you can't find a fighter, don't worry about it. Because, you know, over here in kickboxing, there were times, you know, you call different schools to find if you got somebody that weight category. You know, <laughs> and, uh, we don't have anybody that way. But over in Japan, it was already the group. The group was already there. I mean, I was going to fight somebody in the group. That, that I didn't even know that. Wow. And, you know, so then, then it came to where I we were doing these preliminary fights during the week. So you, you would fight. You know, two, two of these guys would fight, all right? And then uh, the next day, these two guys would fight. And then the next day, the winner of those two fights will fight each other, and the losers will fight each other. And, you know, I just thought it was training. I didn't know that what they were actually doing was trying to figure out who was going to fight at the finals. Mm. So what we were doing was kind of like these, these fights the whole month to see who was going to fight on the main event or the main card, you know, come October. Mm. And uh, I drew one of the top three guys, uh, uh, Yamasaki. No, Kawasaki was Kawasaki was his name. And uh, he uh, he beat me. He beat me uh, and uh, suplexed me. I've never been suplexed in my life had no idea that, you know, you're, you're supposed to tuck your head in when you're getting thrown. My head hit the mat. Ooh. And I saw like Tuesday. And then before I knew it, 
I mean, I just got over the pain in my head. It, it was probably 14, 15 seconds. And he has my leg. <laughs> like, you know, so it was about, it was about 30, 40 seconds. I had no idea where this guy was, but he was all over me like, like water. And I'm going like, then all of a sudden, you know, my leg is, you know, coming out or ripping out or whatever it was. And that was the end. And, uh, but yeah, no, I had no, uh, you know, because again, I did kickboxing that. I had no real, uh, no real problem with it. I just, I just didn't want to focus on fighting as much as I want to focus on learning it. Right. I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to know it. I wanted, I wanted to put a system together with it, kind of like what, what William Chow or Mr. Parker or any of these guys did with the Chinese temple. I mean, they put it together, they structured it together, they had a they had a path so that they could teach it to the next group. You know, and that's why I was fascinated by it with the Chinese temple is how it had this material and requirements that you had to do before you could go to the next level. And that's one thing that the MMA people are missing right now is because they have no structure. Uh Somebody would do something one night, and then the next night they would do something different, and then they would forget what they did the night before, and then they they don't have any structure. And, and I was fascinated with the way the Chinese temple was because it was structured. That says, this is what you learn. It's kind of like when you go to school. You know, the teacher will hand you a certain requirements you had to do to pass that grade. And that's what we did in the Chinese temple. You had... These requirements for yellow. At the time, there was no really yellow. It was an orange. So our first belt was white to orange. So these are the requirements for orange. And then once you got those requirements, you went to purple. So I did the same thing in shoot fighting. I said, you know what? I'm going to structure this so that we can learn this system easier and be able to teach the next generation the requirements in order for them to get efficient in doing this. Mm. And that's what I did. So shoot fighting actually has a system in it. I follow the same rank pattern that we did in a Chinese temple. You're going with white, yellow, orange, purple, blue, green, the browns, and then the black. And this way the student learns the material. And then as the student gets better, the material gets harder. As the student gets better, the material gets more difficult, and so on. As you follow that pattern, not everything's thrown at you at one time, and you got to kind of sift through it and figure out which which direction to go. I kind of put it together on the direction you should go, just like what what they do with the Chinese temple. So when he went for the title, right? Was it? It was it de- developed uh, through like? Uh, did the did the champion pick you out personally? Like you know, they he saw, um, you know, you doing so well in the uh, underneath cards that he he picked you. Like was it like hand picked that he wanted to fight you, or did uh, was it sort of like a tournament style where you rose up and then you were able to fight Fujiwara? It was it was like a tournament thing. Okay. I, I remember um, we had one guy that used to go to Japan, very good fighter in that, and uh, he would always he would always try to, to get more money each time he went. And um, they were giving him more money, and I was there because I was 
I was actually the person picking the people to go to Japan because we had nobody doing this style. Nobody knew about this style. Nobody could train in this style. Nobody had a clue about this, but we needed fighters. And we had a lot of people go in there. And the Japanese were so strict on trying to get fighters. They wanted, they would put these guys through this complete workout. And then at the end of this whole complete workout, they would measure them. And if they weren't six foot, maybe five, ten to six foot, they cut them. They couldn't do it. And I remember one day, because I was helping this one kid go through everything, you know, doing the running and doing whatever. <clears throat> and then they get ready to measure him. And Mida was measuring him. And the kid's facing me. And I'm behind Mida. Mida's bending down to put this tape measure there. And I'm going to the kid, step up on your tiptoes. I'm going, you know, doing like this. And, you know, he comes up like that. And, you know, he was under 5'10 or whatever. Mida points to go. And the kid starts crying. I'm going like, come on. And no, no. And, you know, as time went on, that I, I'm sure they got a little bit more lenient on people because we didn't have fighters that we could just go to another dojo and find them. I mean, we had to develop them. And it was, it was hard. And so... I started getting the people from America. So like I was saying, as I was getting these guys to come over, and this one guy was very good, very good grappler, not real good at the kickboxing part. But again, like I said, you know, these grapplers don't care about that part. They'll take a couple of punches before they get you on the ground and then hurt you. Hmm. He asked for more money. He asked for more money. And uh, they kept giving it to him. And I'm the one doing the passports and like that. And okay, so he's going, he's going, he's going. And then, one time I'm there and I'm going, you know, I should ask for a raise also. I should ask for, for more money and that. And something just told me, you know, and I'm not, you know, okay. So I'm happy. I didn't say anything. And so this guy, the third time that he's asking for more money and I, it's sore enough. goes, okay, next time I bring you more money. And I, you know, I'm walking away and I almost turned around to ask again. And I said, you know, uh, screw it. I was happy with what I was getting. I was, I was okay with it. It was it was okay, but so I, so then you know I do the passports and uh, Norman it was his name. He he's not on this one, and that's not unusual. But about four or five times, no Norman. And I I go to Sornaco and I get to Japan. I go, well, what happened? Why why no Norman? Oh Norman, always more money, more money, more money. I go, yeah, but you said next time I bring you more money. I said he says yes, but. There's no next time. And I'm going, boy, I, I'm glad I didn't say anything because he was pissed. He could have been pissed at me, too. And next time was for me, too. So I, I was happy. But I think it was that month or something like that. We were all at dinner at this restaurant. And, and I'm looking over at the corner there. And there's these Japanese kids over there uh, holding magazines. And they're getting my, you know, they're trying to get my attention and wave and everything like that. And, you know, we were in a nice, fancy restaurant. And uh, they, they're going to go past the door there, whatever the reason was. And uh, I looked at Sornaka. I said, oh, look, those, oh, don't worry about it. So I, I go to eat some more like that. And I'm watching these kids get my attention. And, you know, they want to come over. I go, Sornaka, that's, look, look. He says, don't worry. I said, well, I don't like to do that. I mean, they obviously want to talk to us. This isn't right. 
okay, if you you want, okay. So I wait for them to come. And it was funny because I waited for them to come, and then they start to walk, and they look at the guy that's standing there, and the guy looks at me, and then they let him go. So it's kind of like this big fancy thing here. So they come walking up, and they start speaking Japanese to Soranaka, and Soranaka's speaking Japanese back, and, and I'm sitting right next to, to Soranaka's left, and, and they're between the me and Soranaka, and they're talking everything like that. And uh, Soranaka takes the magazine from his, his hand, and he reads it and uh, everything like that. And then Soranaka says, okay, um, uh, you, you, you sign for them uh, on, on this page here. So I, I signed my autograph and everything like that. And, and I think it was three of them or two of them I had to sign, and I handed it back to them. And, you know, to me, that was, I, I, I like doing that because, you know, to, that that made their day. I mean, apparently they're going, oh, they want a picture of me and, and uh, my autograph, which, you know, hell, shit, my mom didn't even want that. And uh, <laughs> these kids are going, oh, yeah, great. And, you know, and, and then they start to walk away, bowing and laughing and looking at the magazine as they're walking away. And I'm thinking, God, that was really kind of cool, you know, to have that happen like that. These kids were standing there. They had to be standing there at least an hour. And wow. uh, Sornaka, Sornaka looks at me and goes, uh, now you can ask for a raise. And I go, you? what do you mean? He goes, <laughs> he goes uh, magazine just voted you number one foreign fighter in Japan. Over boxing, kickboxing, wrestling, sumo, whatever it was, I was voted the number one foreign fighter in Japan. Wow. And Sammy says, "You now you ask what money you want. And I said to Soranaka, I said, you know what? Whatever you think is fair, I'm happy with that. Because I was just, this guy, Soranaka, he just, took me to Japan. He just, there was no, hey, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. There were times I had schools running over here in the United States that sometimes, and I was trying to get this, you know, to, to make the payments and stuff like that. Soranaka was making sure my schools, everything was in line if I needed any help. Every time. I mean, just amazing. And I didn't have to worry about anything. I said to Sornaka, I said, whatever you think is fair, I'm happy with. And that was it. And, you know, there were, and again, for, for the few years, that he, he, he passed away in, in uh, 92 for, for, the, for, the, for the couple of years that uh, he had taken care of me like that was great. You know, I was, I was, I was very, very happy with what he did. Mm. So is joining shoot fighting uh, similar to how it was back in the day where you mostly like, you know, you had to go to Japan or has it come to the Western, the Western world more like in the United States, is it easier to get involved with shoot fighting? Well, at the the beginning, like I said, you know, there, there was nobody doing this style. So when I, when I came back, I had, I had schools open. At one time I had 10 schools open and, in fact, at the time, I had 10 open, and I took one school just to do the shoot fighting. So I had nine schools open, 
and I'm opening up the tent school, and I told all my black belts, we're going to train fighters to go to Japan to compete. And we're going to do it at this school. And what we're going to do is I want you guys to pick four or five or six of your best students to come over here and train. And we're going to charge minimum because we got to pay the bills at this dojo. And, um, you know, we were, we were doing it for about four months. <laughs> and then um, uh, I'm trying to think who called me. One of the Japanese guys called me. Um, I think his name was Kawasaki. He called to say, oh, Maida and some of the guys want to come to the United States to see your fighters. I says, okay, great. So I called all the guys. I said, and they were coming in the afternoon, like 2 o'clock on like a Wednesday. You know, I'm going like, you know, again, everybody's, you know, working and doing that. I had some of my guys not go to work that day just to be in the dojo. And I could get, I had at least half in there. And so the, the, the guys from Japan come in, there were four of them. And uh, Kawasaki, Kawasaki spoke pretty good English. So he, he was talking. Minor spoke some English, not not real well, but he spoke some English. Okay, and they, they want to see, so we're going through everything like that. Yeah, some of the guys sparred and they're doing all this. And and then uh, they go into my office private to talk. And and Varda uh, <laughs> speaks to Kawasaki in, in Japanese. And Kawasaki says, you know, Mida says, your students are so bad. <laughs> what? You've been over now like six months and students are so bad. Why so bad? <laughs> and I go, well, we only do it once, once or twice a week. And Mida goes, what you know like every day you know because they were used to the japan thing like seven to you know midnight kind of a shit and they don't understand the united states these guys can only come once or twice a week for an hour no every day every day and i was trying to explain to them i said you know we have no sponsor here for these guys to train every day these guys have to work you know and so we didn't have we didn't have really anybody i did i did take two of my girls uh, to Japan, they were the two girls to actually fight the first females to fight when they started doing the shoe fighting style for women in Japan. Because again, the Japanese weren't too too happy about women doing this, but somewhere along the line, it opened up. And I had two girls that were good enough to compete in this this event. And uh, but other than that, I had no guys that I could really take. Because again, we had the same problem that 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 they couldn't train like the Japanese could train. Where that was their job. These guys showed up and they trained. I mean, you no, know, I explained to you how we did it. Starting at seven o'clock in the morning. Can you imagine doing that here in the United States? Can you imagine anybody doing that in the United States? No, no, no. <laughs> Not I, at I, all. I, I can't picture no. like anybody fitting that into their schedule. <laughs> No, and that's what I—that's why I said that was my schedule. That—that that was it. I had seven to two that I had to be in their condition. I mean, they were making up exercises. I was climbing up a rope upside down. Oh my god! Upside, I never. And I watched this kid go up. It looked like Spider-Man. He grabs a rope. He slips his legs above his head. He 
goes all the way up to the top of the room, and then he comes all the way back down. And I'm going like, no. And then the record for squats is 9,000. Oh, 9,000 squats. 9,000. Good Lord. Okay, we used to do 500 a day. So one day I said to Sornaka, I think today I can break record. And he looked at me all excited. Yeah. I said, yeah. So he, he gets his shoes, and we go out back behind the dojo. There was a, a big black. Uh, I mean, a big uh, back area that was concrete where the, the, the these trucks parked. And, uh, okay, go. Now, I knew the first 500, no problem, because I did 500 every day. So 500. Now I got to go 9,000. I got to go 9,001 is what I got to do. I'm going, there's no problem. So 500. And let me tell you, when I hit 1,000, Things were getting weird. <laughs> Don't like, and I'm only at a thousand, and then I'm at fifteen hundred, and my legs are starting to shake, and my stomach's starting to hurt, and my neck is hurting, and and the, the back end of my ass is hurting, and I'm going like, Jesus, I made it to two thousand. I made four thousand, and that was it. I couldn't do another one. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move, and. I'm going 9,000. Somebody did 9,000, and I can't walk away after doing 4,000. I'm going, oh, my God. I'm, but, but, again, my point being is from 7 to 2, we just did conditioning. Run, jog, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups. I started the guys in weight training. We got weights and doing weight training. And um, – then 2 o'clock, you know, you head off. Some of the guys slept in the corner. Someone did laundry. I I went and got some things because, again, I had an apartment there. And you had a, a very, very little uh, refrigerator. It wasn't, you know, over in Japan, they, they shop really every day. They don't shop like we do over here where you buy stuff for the month. Right. They, they, just, right. they just buy stuff for the day. And you, you you keep it in for the day, maybe two days tops, and then it's out. You know, the, the refrigerator, my sh- my shoes were bigger than my refrigerator. And um, so, you know, you had to do your laundry, do whatever you had to do, take a nap from two to five. Five, you're back in JoJo, five to nine. And you did that every day. I didn't know, remember, I didn't know there, there was Christmas or New Year's or whatever the only day we had off was the day after a match and our birthday if it's your birthday go now now the emperor over in japan had passed away and uh we had that whole week off realistically and uh i remember i was uh i was born i had nothing to do and so i said to sornaka i mean there were a lot of times me and sornaka would go off and, and do stuff and kind of venture through Japan. And uh, I said to Sornak, I said, uh, why don't we go, why don't we go to the, to this, the emperor's funeral? And he, he asked me if I really want to go. I said, yes, of course I really want to go. That, that'd be, that would be kind of cool. So uh, I, uh, 
It was me, Sornock, and a couple other guys. We started. We start walking down the street. We get on a. We got on a. I think a bus, not a subway. We got on something to to to, to go over there. We get off and we start walking. And and again, everybody everybody out there is. They all wear dark clothes. Everybody, I think they all shop at the same place because it's either a black suit, a dark blue suit, or a dark gray suit. Nothing, just, and again, you know, that that's how everybody in Japan dressed. And, and now it was even more pronounced because the whole place was filled. So we started walking this aisle up, and we're not in suits. None of us are in suits, including Sornak and that. And uh, then people started to recognize us and um, started moving away as as we started walking, walking up. Then these people started walking towards us, and then they started to sort not to start talking to these men that were all dressed real nice and everything like that. And as they're talking, I there were hundreds of Japanese flags going from the walkway all the way up to the front. Hundreds of flags. I wanted one. I wanted one Japanese flag. And I knew they wouldn't miss it. So I saw not this talk, and I'm reaching over there, and I'm trying to untie it. And uh, he said something. And then, don't leave it alone. Don't touch. And then I I kept trying to do it. And then, and then they all looked at me, because Sornaka said something, and they all looked at me as I'm trying to steal this flag. Oh, boy. And... Uh, Sornaka speaks to this guy in Japanese about how Bart Vale wants this flag. So this Japanese guy speaks to this other Japanese kid, and he takes it down. And then this guy signs and does everything like that, shakes my hand, hands me the flag. These guys shake my hand, and, and everybody walks back up to the front. And I have the flag signed and I go, okay, this is, this is cool. Um, why did he ruin my flag? <laughs> why did he put all this Japanese crap on my flag? Oh, he goes, Oh, that's the new emperor. He wanted to meet you. Oh my. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, I that thought, I, the- I thought you were going to say it was like Antonio Inoki or something like that. One of the like statesmen or something like that at the time. And I was, uh, that's that's crazy that you met the emperor. Yeah, the new emperor. It was the it was the son, the oldest son, and the youngest son were there. That they wanted they wanted to meet me, and they heard we were there, and so they they worked on coming towards us as we were working on coming up there to pay our respects. Mm. Now the story about Antonio. Wait, this gets even better. This gets even better. Antonio, I met him several times. Very nice guy. I was doing the passports for Americans here in the United States. Because on Miami Beach, they had the, the, the Japanese the place to get the passports. And you can go in there and hand all the stuff. You don't have to worry about mailing it off. So I would do that to get everything done quicker. So, uh, Antonio 
Anoki's office contacting me to get these passports for these guys, like, in the next three days. And they usually want, like, two weeks to do this as quickly as, like, two weeks to take. Three days was going to be impossible, right, according to them, which I later found out was bullshit. Yeah. So I get there to the place, and, and the girl, I'm starting to, to know her. She spoke pretty good English and that, and uh, uh, I told her, I need these by, by Thursday, and I think today's Monday, right? Thursday. And no, no way. I said, it's very, very important. Antonio Noki wants, and she looked when I said Antonio Noki. All right. Now, to me, he was nobody. I mean, you know, it'd be like, you know, being in Japan and saying, oh, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I can't even think of something to say. But he meant nothing. I mean, I didn't really know him like, like some big celebrity over in Japan. I mean, come to find out, Antonio Noki is more popular than the emperor. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> no, there's no way she could, she, she could do this. And I take out, I take out his phone number. I said, dial, dial this phone number, please. Now, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure we woke him up. And, he talked to her on the phone about this. This girl, when I'm watching her on the phone, she looked like she just saw Jesus because this girl turned white, white. Wow. Hi, hi, hi. She kept going, hi, hi, hi. Hung up the phone. And I says, okay, Thursday. She goes, no. And she puts her hand out in front of me. She goes, no. And she starts yelling at all these girls back there. They did it then. Not Thursday. Then. Right then. I had all the paperwork done. They stopped everything they were doing. And these girls did it. And then all of a sudden, I was a superstar because I knew Antonio. I would walk in and they would stop everything. The girl will come out from behind the counter, get the stuff, ask me if I want anything to drink. One time, the one lady brought photos of me for me to sign. And I signed like 50 photos of me <laughs> for this lady there to give to her kids, her grandmother's kids, uh, her, her brother's friends. I mean, everybody. I'm going like all of a sudden now I became a superstar and this was weird because I'm in the United States and these Japanese people are acting like when we were in Japan. I mean, they, they opened the door for me and hi, hi and oh, okay. Uh, do I need anything? Whatever. I became a superstar because Antonio was yelling at her. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that was kind of neat. And then I realized when I, when I, when I told, uh, I think I told Fujiwara, and he just he just he just laughed. Now now, what was uh, Antonio Inoki like? Because I'm actually curious. Like, what was he like in real life? You know, 
I, I met him a couple of times at different parties. He seemed to be a very nice guy. I mean, you know, uh, again, most all the Japanese people I met over there were very, very humble, very nice. But, you know, when he when he got into the ring, he became a different person. Yeah. But outside the ring, I mean, he, he was nice. I, 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 you know, I met him several times at different parties. I remember one time I took a picture with him, and then the next time I, I met him, he autographed it for me. And so I had that in the I had that in the dojo, um, but but seemed like a very very nice guy. Yeah. And again, you know, to me it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't no big deal. I, I'm not I'm not the type of person that 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 is star stricken or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, to me they're all the same people. Yeah. Well, obviously, I'm not the type of person that doesn't get starstruck. I mean, I mark I mark Dale in the the first uh, couple minutes of talking to you. <laughs> well, you know, we all put our pants on the same way. Yeah, so that's a great saying. I think I'm going to steal I that. Do, what I do with mine is I jump off. I jump off my my dresser, <laughs> and as I jump off the dresser, I put the pants on. So. <laughs> I'm kind of like the firemen where they slide down the pole. Right, 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 right. Already on. That's how I put my pants on. That's awesome. I think if you're not doing it that way, you're doing it wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought everybody did it that way. Right. <laughs> now, I got to ask, do you still have the American flag shorts? I do. You know, um, what happened, uh, one of my uh, students owned a, like a gold gym, and he was, he wanted to uh, he wanted to put it in a frame and put it in the gym with all these other things, you know, like some football players. He had some boxers, so he wanted to have all this stuff in this like gold gym kind of a thing. So he took the shorts, he put it in a frame, put it in, in a, a picture of me where Soranaka was holding up my hand that I won the title, and uh, he put it up in his uh, gym, and then. Um, I don't know, it was maybe four or five years later, he was closing the gym, and he asked me, he says, hey, listen, you know, that that's still in there. Would you like it back? I said, yeah, I want it back. <laughs> so he says, well, come get it. So I went down there and got it, and yeah, I, I have it, and, and the thing's in the frame and like that, and it's it's in my dojo up, in, up, up on the wall by the ring. That's awesome. So all this stuff, you know, and and uh, and I look back at it, at the that the path that I took, and uh, you know, I, I wanted to do it different. I mean, you know, I, I was just I was just fortunate to be, you know, and I have to say I was, you know, to to be at that MBA thing at that particular time and point just changed it changed my path for real. Yeah. And and. I, and I know it. And I tell people that all the time. It says you just don't know where it's going to be, and it happens. It happens that quick like that. I mean, never my wildest dreams. I mean, my wheels were falling off my truck. Right. They literally, they literally, the wheels were too big for the studs, so it actually broke the studs. Wow. So wow. I had to put big studs in there, and I'm going. Ah, I don't want to do. I don't want to do this. But again, I still drove it down there to do this because. This kid's mother 
talked me into doing it because he was so excited about going there and doing this. He couldn't stop telling his friends. And I'm going like, to me, it was like, who cares? But realistically, well, I'm glad I did because that 30 seconds in my life being up in that ring actually changed my path for sure. Where can we find your school at? Well, you got to come down here to Fort Lauderdale. Okay. I'm on a commercial at Knob Hill. Uh, the address is 10162 Northwest 50th Street, and that's Sunrise, Florida, 33351. Wait, I got one more very good story, too. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, doing, the, I'm doing the tempo, and again, I focus on just doing tempo as a young kid. So I would go to the Kempo school all the time. Whenever they had a class, I would go there. Whether it was the morning, afternoon, night, I would go. Because I was under the impression we had to go to all the classes. Group, private, whatever it was. Well, I'm getting ready to test for my orange belt. Now, we had white and orange. There was no yellow belt at the time. So I get in there. I'm getting ready to test. I go through everything. We get to this technique called the web. And I forgot it. Oh, no. Oh. I couldn't remember. I could not remember the technique, the web. I'm going, wait, 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 wait. Wait, I know this one. <laughs> and I know this one. is what I said. He goes, you're supposed to know all of them. I said, yeah, but I know this one particularly. Wait, wait. I couldn't. I failed my orange belt test. Failed. And I leave. I was mad. I said, you know what? I'm quitting this karate. I'm done. I don't need to do this no more. I was so mad. So the next day, I'm supposed to be at karate, but I'm out in the neighborhood where everybody, there was a, a yard next to our house where everybody played. And my, my one of my good buddies, Keith, uh, I go walking up to him. Hey, what are we doing? He goes, "Oh, these two kids are from another neighborhood. I'm, let's let's we're gonna play them in football." I says, "All right, great." So uh, we're walking down the field together. They're walking the other way, and Keith looks at me. And goes, "Aren't you supposed to be at karate tonight?" I go, uh, "Yeah, uh, but you know, I got I got really good, and so I quit." He goes, "Oh," he says, "Cool." He says, "What belt did you quit?" I'm thinking to myself, "I'm going." Now, everybody knows white belt's just beginner and brown belt and black belt, but I never heard of any colors in between. I, I, and I'm sure they didn't either. So I'm going like, they're not going to know. They might even think orange belt. And again, remember, I failed orange belt. So really, technically, I was a white belt. But I said to Keith, I said, and I put my hands on my hip like Wonder Woman. I go, yeah, I'm an orange belt. And he looks at me and makes like a squint in his face, and he goes, what a stupid color. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going, oh, my God, I can't go my whole life going, yeah, you got to be careful. I'm an orange belt in karate. So then the <laughs> next day I go back. They didn't even know I quit. And uh, I said something to the instructor. He goes, oh, no, you don't have to come to the group classes if you don't want to. He says, you gotta, you got to make the private classes. But you, you, if you can't make a group class, you don't even have to worry about calling us because you don't, you don't have to show up for a group class. Don't worry about that. I'm like, oh, all right. 
So then I did quit. He goes, no, nah, you didn't quit. He says, you just took a break. Yeah. I said, all right, let's test that belt. I want to get that orange belt. And then, and then I get a, I get a, I make my orange belt. Tom Dunn then, he goes, he goes, hey, listen, one of the instructors is going to be late. I want you to, you're, you're one of the guys that I, I, I hung around with, he was, he was a few months behind me. He was still a white belt. He says, I want you to, to kind of teach him, take his class, you know, and Tom showed me how to open a class, how to close the class, just reverse what we were doing. And I'm like, that's, in my life, that's the most nervous I've ever been in my life. I'm getting ready to teach a class. <laughs> I go, what am I going to teach? I don't know what I'm going to teach. He goes, teach the web. <laughs> I hey, the yeah. web. He goes, yeah, I know you know the web. He goes, after you failed it, you probably did it a thousand times. So go teach the web. I go, oh, my God. So my first technique I ever had to teach in my life was the technique I failed at first. Wow. That's awesome. That's a great way of, like, coming full circle, you yeah. know? <laughs> so, so for then, I was, I was the expert in teaching the web. <laughs> Do you still use the web to this day? Do we still use the technique, the web? Yeah, yeah. Do you still use it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I still teach it, too. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure awesome. you. I'm sure you never forgot it after that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think I'm going to forget that one. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, do you want to run through your address again, and then we'll uh, plug your website and also plug your DVD box set as well? Sure. You know, I, I opened up a. I opened up a, a store now. Okay. Awesome. Where my students can actually go to the store and then just per- purchase, and I'm going to start putting my DVDs up on it. They could start purchasing um, shirts, the Keppo shirts, the shoe fighting shirts. I got the shoe fighting rank shirts up there. So the guys that, you know, because, again, in the shoe fighting, we weren't using belts as rank. We were actually using shirts, kind of like what Bruce Lee did in the earlier days. Yeah. Because, again, we, didn't, we don't wear belts in, in shoe fighting. So, you know, if the guy was a white, he would wear a white T-shirt. If he was a green, he'd wear a green T-shirt with the, with the shoot fighting. And then underneath the shoot fighting were the kanji letters that said the Fujiwara Gumi. And so that, that's what I had on that. But, you know, I can tell you, though, the, the web page. But let me give you my address one more time. Okay. 10162 Northwest 50th. Street, Sunrise, Florida, three 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 five one. Okay. And then the new webpage that I'm starting to to sell product is Martial Arts for the number four life dot biz. And then you know the students can go there and buy shirts. And again, like I'm saying, is I want to put the DVDs up there, and uh, this way, what they could do. Because I had a couple of my students from Australia wanted to, to get the DVD. And the shipping over to Australia, it was going to take about six months for them to get it. And it was going to cost $148 just to ship two DVDs. And I said, you know what? That ain't happening. I'm not doing that. So that's what got me started on this whole thing. And... Uh, they could buy the DVD right off the internet, 
download it right there and have it right then and there. I mean, it's like right there. Mm. And now how many DVDs are there? There's uh, three? No, actually, realistically, I have 30 DVDs out. I try to do like a course. I have the ranked DVDs. I have the instructor's DVDs, which is a five-DVD series to get these guys started. Because you asked about one time about training. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get dojos to incorporate shoot fighting in their style, whether it's Taekwondo, uh, Shotokan, it's just it's just going to enhance what they already have. And that's when I got involved in it, that's what I looked at. I mean, Chinese temple to me was the greatest. But the shoe fighting just kind of enhanced it a little bit. And that's, that's what I was trying to get most of these martial arts schools to do, to have a, a structure in being able to put in to their original style. And, yeah, don't get me wrong. If you could do everything stand-up, because, again, stand-up to me is better because on the ground you can't control the people around you. You're going to get end up getting kicked by somebody that has nothing to do with the fight. You're going to end up getting road rash or whatever it is that can happen on the ground that won't happen standing up. But you can't always control what happens. But you just got to be somewhat prepared if you are taking to the ground. And uh, that's what I try to get is these schools. So they would start with a five-hour uh, instructor's DVD course to give them a general idea. And then, of course, build off of that. And now with this whole uh, this corona thing and stuff like that, it's making it a lot difficult for people to train one-on-one uh, like we used to do in the old days. But... You know, uh, we got to do some kind of training. So I have a few of the guys doing it off the DVDs. And then what they would do is they would send me them doing the material by my email so that I can review and tell them what they need to work on or what they should do or shouldn't do or whatever it is. So, again, I think we're all going to have to find a different way as life goes forward. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely strange times ahead. And uh, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show. And uh, definitely, you know, I filled out a, a childhood dream here, to being able to sit down and talk to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me. I had a great time. Yeah, yeah. We'll yeah, have to have you here. on again soon. Yeah, we got we got to right. hear some more stories. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you guys take it easy, all right? Thanks. And I'll all talk right. to you later. All right. You do the all same, right. Bart. Take care. Yep. All Bye-bye. right. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was another episode of the Mighty Coleslaw Podcast. I'm your host, the Mighty Coleslaw, joined here with Mandrew, a.k.a. Mandrew. Take care, guys. Yep. Have a good one.